worship, um, the fact that your spirit is here. And Lord, uh, I just pray that as we open your word, God, as we look into what you have to say to us, God, that our hearts would be open, God, our minds would be attentive to what you have to say to us. God, we'd see the miracles of Jesus through your word, God, and it would be eye-opening to us. In so many ways, God, we'd see your compassion, we'd see your love and your mercy and your grace poured out through the miracles that testified to the fact that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Oh, God, what a miraculous thing it is to just be able to hear from your word. God, I pray that we never become complacent. God, we never ignore the fact that that your word in itself is a miracle, the fact that we can carry around the very word of God in our hands, God, that it is word-breathed, and God, your Holy Spirit inspired it. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we, uh, we realize the power that it holds, and God, we know that it has the power to change lives. So change our lives now through the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. God, speak to us through the miracles of Jesus. In his name I do pray, amen. You can be seated. So we're continuing to talk about the miracles of Jesus in a series called Miraculous. Um, tonight we, we uh, are going to talk about a, a blind man. Blindness was pretty prevalent back in the days of Jesus. In first century Jerusalem, it was actually something that was pretty common. Uh, it happened a lot. Uh, I don't really want to go into all the details of why it was... Um, very prevalent besides to say that there are sexually transmitted diseases that were very common in that day. And because of that, blindness was actually something that resulted, as a matter of fact. If you know anything about syphilis, you know that uh, it can cause blindness in a child. When a child is born, my mother has syphilis. So I don't know if you knew that or not, and that may be too much information for you. But I will tell you that uh, sexually transmitted diseases were prevalent back then just like they're prevalent today, and in a lot of countries that don't have the ability to treat some of these diseases, a lot of children are born blind even today as a result of some of these. So it's something that was very common uh, back in Jesus' day, and a lot of times in the Old Testament, you would see people that suffered from blindness and talked about why they were blind. And we see tonight, as Jesus addresses one of the things that the Pharisees believed and said and taught, and that is that blindness uh, in particular, was a result of some sin in somebody's life. That the reason that somebody had uh, some sort of ailment or sickness or some disease from birth was because either they had sinned or their parents had sinned. And we're going to see Jesus address this head on in the scriptures uh, that Jesus goes, That's not the case. That's not the case. So we're going to look at, at a miraculous event in Jesus' life. Uh, I have to kind of set you up for where we are. Jesus has been uh, in the temple, and he's, he's been teaching like Jesus often did. And uh, we're actually going to be in John chapter 9 today, but I'm going to start at the end of John chapter 8 and just tell you what's going on. Jesus has been teaching in the temple. Jesus has been telling everybody that he is the Son of God. That's kind of difficult for people to swallow at this day and time, right? Like, so if you said, I am the Son of God, or if you said, I am God, uh, that was grounds for being stoned. That was grounds for them killing you. Um, so if Jesus is going to say this, he's got to recognize that he's going to be up against some thugs that are going to want to take him out. Because the religious leaders of that day didn't put up with that kind of stuff. They didn't tolerate that. They would just say, go and stone that guy because he is saying something that's not true, that it's against God, and that's the reason he needs to die. And that's the way they operated. Jesus knew this when he comes and he tells everybody in the temple, 
He says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Now, what is, what is Jesus saying there? When he says the term, I am, he's talking about when, when God uh, has been talking to Moses and he says, who should I tell them sent me? And God, Yahweh, says, you tell them that the I am has sent you. You tell them that I am is the one who is responsible for their deliverance from the Egyptians, that they're going to get out of the Egyptian rule and they're going to be okay and I'm going to deliver them and they're going to be rescued and all this stuff. And when you say, who told you this, you got to tell them the I am told me that. And that was how they knew that it was God. And that was what was the trigger for them to know that it was God. And when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. He says, even before Abraham, our, our ancestors, our forefathers, even before he was born, I was here. Now we know that Jesus, because he is part of the Trinity, is part of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's been around ever since the beginning of creation. Uh, that, that he was there uh, with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters of the earth, he was there because all things were made for him, by him, and through him. And we know that Jesus was there. He was part of the Trinity when all of creation came to be. And Jesus is just reinforcing this, saying, before Abraham was born, I am. Not only is he saying, he, saying I am the I am, he's also saying that he is eternal and he's been around forever. Well, everybody gets mad. Uh, you ever had everybody be mad at you at some point in time? You ever had everybody like, I don't, <laughs> Kimberly raised her hand. <laughs> Kimberly, amen, Kimberly. I've been mad at you before. I know what that feels. I've had people, lots of people mad at me, right? You, you've been there. You've done that. You've had like, it feels like the whole world is against you, right? Uh, you feel like nobody is on my side. Everybody's against me. I don't feel like anybody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm sitting in the garden eating worms. You know what I'm talking about. Like, you know how that feels that to feel like everybody's against you. Well, that is where Jesus is in this place in his ministry. He tells everybody that he is the I am. After telling everybody that he's the son of God, he's not well received. It says in verse 59 of chapter 8, at this point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Jesus hid out. It wasn't his time to die yet. He wasn't supposed to go to the cross yet. Jesus actually went and hid and, and, and got away from everybody that was trying to stone him at that point in time. So kind of weird that Jesus would do this, but Jesus is. He's like, this is not my time to die. I've got another appointed time where I'm supposed to be crucified, and that's going to line up with Scripture in the Old Testament, and that's what, how it's supposed to go down. I'm not supposed to die right now. So he hides out from everybody and slips out of the temple, and that's where we find ourselves. Jesus is running for his life, literally, at this point when we encounter Jesus in this miracle. Why is that important? Why is that a big deal? Because if you think about the fact that Jesus is running for his life, that he is trying to hide out from everybody, he's trying to kill him, and he stops in the middle of what he's doing to meet with this man who is a beggar, and he's at the temple. Uh, beggars tended to hang out at the temple. People that had some sort of uh, physical disability, whether they were blind or lame or whatever, they would hang out around the temple. Why would... Why would they do that if they were homeless and, and blind and, and, or had some sort of ailment or something? Why would they hang out at the temple? Because that's where the good people were, right? That's where all the good people went. They went to the temple. They hung out there. So if you were going to get help from somebody, you go to the temple and hang out, right? You go hang around the temple gates and maybe one of the good people, after they come and made their sacrifices to God, maybe they're convicted of their sin, maybe they feel compassion on you, say, let's give you a little bit of money, let's, let's send you on your way. So the beggars hung out around the, the temple a lot. That's just where they were. Jesus is sneaking out of the temple, 
He's hiding, running from it for his life, and he encounters this blind man who's hanging out at the temple. And I just lost my spot, so I'm going to go to the screen and read it from there. John chapter 9, beginning of verse 1, says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. We don't know if this man was blind before he was born or when he was born, but at birth he came out. He was blind. He couldn't see. Something was wrong with him so that his eyes did not work. Uh, this man did not need like some sort of medication. He did not need some sort of ointment or something that would make him able to see. He needed new eyes in order for him to be able to see. Uh, this is what we see in Jesus. He has creative power. He can create new eyes in this man, and that is exactly what he does. He says, this, as Jesus was walking along, he comes out of the temple. He's hiding from the fact that the Pharisees are trying to stone him. He comes walking along, and he sees a man who is blind from birth. His disciples hanging out with him. Hey, bro, what's going on here? That's what it says in the Greek. Verse 2, it says, Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? So they're confused. They're like, man, this is a golden opportunity for me to ask Jesus about why does this man have to suffer from blindness? Why is this man enduring this lifelong ailment of being, not being able to see? He's in darkness, literally. That's, that's what he is. He's in darkness. And a lot of times the Bible makes analogies between being blind and being in spiritual darkness. And this kind of comes from Old Testament stories and stuff about where people that, that because of their sins, something had happened to them, and people kind of made that connection incorrectly and said, well, if you've got something wrong with you, that must mean you've done something wrong. That, that the physical ailments you suffer from is the result of some sin that was in your life. And Jesus says, no, this is not the case. This is not the case. Does sometimes Jesus or God punish people for sin? Is there sometimes when God uh, causes something to befall somebody that, that is hurtful and they don't understand necessarily what's going on. There's even a sin unto death. You can sin so much that God can say, enough with you. That is the end of your life. Do you remember when Achan, when he stole and when he wasn't supposed to, they stoned him and his whole family? Do you, you recognize that, that people could see this? They could kind of make that connection and think, well, this is what's going on here? Because of their sin, that must mean that's the reason that they're, they're blind. Here this man is in spiritual darkness. He didn't know he doesn't he even know who's coming around. He doesn't know that Jesus is right there. All he can hear is these disciples talking about his sin or what he thinks may be his sin that's caused him to be blind. Do you remember what Job said when his friends came around and said, the reason you're suffering, Job, is because you have got all this hidden sin and you need to just confess it before the Lord. You need to just come out and say what's going on and you need to get this thing right and confess it before the Lord and repent. And Job, the whole time his friends are saying this garbage to him, he's like, no, guys. I know what I've done. I know how I've lived. I know that the, the things I'm suffering from is not a result of some sin that I've committed. And here this man, he's a beggar. People that, that were blind, they couldn't really get a job back then. There's nothing they could really do. They weren't really useful. So their only job was to be a beggar and ask people to help them and get money from other people. So here we see this man who's a beggar because he's blind thinking in his mind that the reason I'm blind is some sin that I've either committed or my mother's or my father's committed sometime before, and that's the reason I'm, I'm blind. We talked about this when we talked about the woman with the issue of blood, how when you had these physical ailments that made 
people think that there was some sin in your life, that you were kind of an outcast. You were kind of looked down upon. You were looked like, well, there's something wrong with you spiritually because there's something wrong with you physically. And people didn't look at them the same as other people. That only, only the strong people must have a healthy spiritual life. Do we see that in this world? Do we, do we see people that are strong, that are just wretchedly sinful? People that have healthy, muscular, very fit bodies and they don't have anything wrong with them, obviously physically, but they're very sinful. You see that in today? Sure you do, all the time, right? Now, you don't believe me? Just watch a movie, you know what I mean? Like, There's plenty of people on there that have sinful lives and don't love Jesus and they got very healthy, very fit bodies, and they're ready to go and all this kind of stuff. It's obvious that, that their sin doesn't impact them physically. And we even talked about before how, it, particularly this past uh, Saturday night at our, at our camp, we actually talked about how frustrating it can be to watch wicked people prosper when those that are righteous, when they're suffering and they've got heartache and they've got difficulties in their life and how frustrating that is. People tended to make the connection because Adam and Eve had sinned uh, that, that, that they were able to see their nakedness. They were able to experience death for once. They were able to experience the pains, the birth pains that come with giving labor, going through labor, giving birth to a child. All of this pain and, and suffering came into the world when Adam and Eve sinned. So they made the connection between pain and suffering with sin and here is a man that they're looking at and say, the reason he's suffering, the reason he's in pain like this is because of some sin that he's committed or his, or his parents have committed. And his disciples say, why? why is he like that, Jesus? What's going on? Why is he in that position? Understand the compassion that our Lord has on us, first of all. See the fact that he's running for his life and Jesus stops to have a conversation with this man. And Jesus says, it's not what you think. It's not at all what you think. You've got it all wrong. And I'm going to tell you the truth. In verse 3, this is what it says. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while we, I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's what Jesus says. He says, this man, his blindness is not a negative. It's actually a positive. It's actually a good thing so that I can show you that I am the Son of God, that I am God, the I am that I just proclaimed in the temple that everybody wanted to stone me for. This is an opportunity for God to be glorified through this man's ailment, through this man's sickness, through his blindness. It is an opportunity for the glory of God to be shown. What if we looked at everything that way? What if we looked at the things that are bad happening in our lives as an opportunity for God to rescue us, to pull us out of that situation so that God can be glorified? We always have the tendency to look at everything in a negative way, don't we? Well, this is because of this, or this is because of that, and oh, it's just dreadful and awful and painful, and let's look at all the negatives. Let's look at the fact that we don't have any money, we don't have any friends, that everybody's against us. And Jesus says that this man in his life, this is an opportunity for God to be glorified. You know what I think Jesus was thinking about when he says this? I think that he's thinking about the end of chapter 8, when we just read in verse 59, that 
everybody was ready to stone Jesus. Everybody was ready to kill Jesus. And all Jesus was doing was telling the truth that he was the son of God. And now he gets to prove it. It wasn't a negative that they wanted to stone him. It was a positive because Jesus was right. It was a positive because Jesus really is the Son of God. It's an opportunity for God to be glorified through his Son, Jesus Christ, which is exactly what happens here. Here is a man who's got this ailment, and Jesus wants to heal him. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus is talking about more than just this man's blindness. Can you see beyond just the blindness? What does Jesus say? He says, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, God sent us here for a purpose. God sent us here to accomplish his work, to proclaim the gospel that is going to come through Jesus Christ, to show them the power of Jesus in coming years, coming days, months, weeks, years, to show the power of God and who Jesus really is. And the fact that everyone can be saved. And here we see this man. He's, he's got blindness, and, and it's an allusion to the spiritual darkness that's in the world. And Jesus is saying, we have got to rescue those that are in darkness. We've got to go and pull those that are in darkness out of the darkness into light. And how we do that is by saving them through the gospel of Jesus. How we do that is by proclaiming the kingdom of God. And here he's saying, it's, it's daylight right now. The light is here. Jesus is here. The, the, the light of the world is here in your presence. And we've got work to do. Let's do the work while there's still an opportunity to do the work. I couldn't help when I, when I read this to think about when the disciples were with Jesus. And, and they didn't really fast and stuff like that. Uh, like the Pharisees thought they should. And they, the Pharisees asked the disciples, why don't, you, why don't you guys fast? And they asked Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? And he says, a time is coming when the bridegroom's not going to be here. And they're going to weep and they're going to mourn. But while they're here, they're going to rejoice. They're going to take advantage of the time that they have. And that's what Jesus is saying right now. Take advantage of the time that you have. Take advantage of the fact that, that I am here with you. The light of the world is here with you. And this is an opportunity for God to be glorified and people to be saved. And here is a man who this is not a negative. This is a positive because this man is not only going to be saved from his blindness. He's going to be saved from his sin. He's going to be saved from his sin. Which is ultimately the goal of all of these disciples. And that's their purpose is to save people from their sin. It's the whole reason Jesus came. He says, but while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. He says in verse 6, then he spit on the ground. And made mud with saliva and spread the mud over the man's eyes. I bet you're dying to know. Hey, man, I bet Kenny's got a good explanation for why Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud, and then rubbed it on his eyes. Like, Kenny's got a pretty good idea about why he did this. I ain't got a clue. I'll be honest with you. I don't have a clue why Jesus said, we need some mud made out of spit, and that will fix the guy. I don't believe that Jesus had to have the mud. I think that he did this so that the man would have to respond obedience I don't know what was special about the mud people you read all kinds of people's ideas about why it was because man was made from the dust of the ground I don't know if that's it or not I just think Jesus wanted an opportunity for this man to respond so he made some mud he put it on the guy's eyes and what do you think happened after Jesus made some mud out of his own spit you know Jesus spit it's probably got to be good stuff right like I, I mean I don't 
Ethan's like, show up. Yeah, I bet Jesus spits like powerful stuff. I spit on people in the front row and the second row and the third row. I mean, even I almost bet get back to the fourth row sometimes. Ain't nothing special about my spit. But if Jesus was standing up here, I'd be sitting on the front row. I'd be wanting to get spit on because, man, he's like, he got some powerful spit, right? Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, and puts it over the man's eyes. He told him, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Oh, what is Jesus saying here? What is, it, says, it says Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. So Jesus gives this man an opportunity to respond in obedience to his command. He doesn't even know really who Jesus is. I mean, he knows that he's there with these guys, and they're running from the Pharisees probably, and he, Jesus is talking to this man, and, and he's talking to his disciples about sin and what it really means and what it really is and why this guy's blind. And he doesn't really know who Jesus is. But I believe when Jesus touched this man, I believe this man had a seeking heart for God, and when Jesus touched this man, there was something in him. You remember the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment? She knew immediately she'd been changed. She knew she'd been transformed. I believe that's what's going on with this man. I believe he, he knew that he had been transformed, and he knew that there was something different in him. Even though he's got mud on his eyes, he still can't see. He still can't see at this point. He's got mud covering his eyes. He can't see. But he goes in obedience to what Jesus has said because God has spoken to his heart because he is transformed. And now he's following in obedience to what Jesus said. You know what you're supposed to do when you follow Jesus, when you're touched by Jesus and he transforms your heart? He takes out the heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. When the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, when the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in your body as the temple of God, you know what you're supposed to do? Obey. Obey. Respond in obedience to what God has called you to do. First step is through baptism. We celebrate that through water baptism. I believe that's the way Jesus did it. That's the way we want to do it, and that's the way we celebrate it here. If you've never been baptized but your faith is in Jesus Christ, you need to be baptized. That, that is obedience to, to Jesus. Jesus says, you know what you're supposed to do? Repent and be baptized. That's, what you're supposed to, that's how it's supposed to go down. So that is what you're supposed to do. Here this man is following in obedience to Jesus and what Jesus has said to do. Go and wash your face. This man who is in spiritual darkness, he's, in, he's, in, he's, he's blind, but he's also in spiritual darkness. He's transformed, and now he's about to be taken into the light. He's about to be brought into the light. And you know what he goes to? He goes to a pool called Scent. Scent. Why is that a big deal? Immediately when I read this, this is what I thought about. I thought about Luke chapter 4. When Jesus, he's already been tempted by Satan and he comes back and he's in the temple and he starts talking about Isaiah and reading from the scroll. And this is what it says. In Luke chapter 4, beginning of verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This man is a beggar. He's poor, most likely. Sitting at the temple gates, he's probably poor, doesn't have much money because he's, uh, he's blind and can't get a job. It says, He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying you need water. 
You need living water. And Jesus has already said in John chapter 4 that he is the living water. Anybody that drinks from him will never thirst again. Here we've got this pool of water called scent. Jesus is the one who was sent. Jesus was sent by God for this purpose, to bring people out of darkness into light. Jesus had said that in Luke chapter 4 when he read from the scrolls, and now we see Jesus showing this blind man that he indeed was sent. I believe Jesus is showing us something here that's more than just a blind man able to see. That Jesus was sent for the purpose of everyone who is in spiritual darkness to be able to see. That's the reason he came. But you know what? Even though you may be transformed, even though you may see the glory of God in your life, the transforming work of Jesus, there are still people out there that are in darkness. There are still people out there that refuse to see. There are still people out there with the blinders on or their eyes closed because they think they've got it all together. They're, they're healthy. Their bodies are okay, but, but they don't recognize the fact that they're sick and blind and they need nourishment and they need clothes because they're naked. They don't recognize spiritually where they stand. And here we see some people that they actually kind of refuse to see what is obvious right in front of them. Says his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? They like, maybe, maybe this is him. They knew him. It's their, it, their neighbors of this guy. They knew exactly who he was, and now they're questioning, is this even the same guy? They're still in darkness. They were still refused to see that Jesus Christ is the, the answer to what ails them. Some said he was, and others said no. He just looks like him. They refused to see. Still in spiritual darkness, still refusing to see what Jesus had done, still refusing to see the glory of God. It says, But the beggar kept saying, This man, what did he do? In obedience to God, he just kept saying. He kept proclaiming what Jesus Christ had done in his life. And he says this. He says, Yes, I am the same one. I am the same man, but transformed what are we supposed to do as Christians? We're supposed to say, yes, I'm that same sinful, wretched person that used to walk in darkness, but now I walk in light. I'm the same person, but I've got a brand new heart, and it's all because of Jesus. I'm transformed so drastically. It looks different, way different than what I used to be, but I really am a changed person, even though I'm in the same physical body. And that is what this man is doing. He's proclaiming the fact that Jesus Christ transformed him which is exactly our goal in the gospel. They asked, who healed you? So they want to know more. What happened? <laughs> this man, he doesn't really have an explanation of what happened. All he can do is tell them how he used to not be able to see, now he can see, and it's all because of Jesus. He doesn't know what. All he knows is Jesus, right? Look what he says. He says, he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. You may say, well, is there some deep spiritual meaning here? You know why I don't think the man knew? Because Jesus sent the man to go wash Jesus went elsewhere, 
the man washed, realized he could see, realized he'd been transformed by Jesus, and all, all he knew is that his goal now was to tell other people about what had happened to him. His goal now was just to tell him that Jesus Christ is the reason he can see now when he used to not be able to. I believe this is the, the perfect picture of the gospel. This is the perfect picture of what Jesus has called us all to do, which is to go in obedience, to do the things that Jesus has called us to do, and then to just proclaim what Jesus has done in our lives. And you know what happens as a result of that? A miracle of God. A miracle of God when people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of your testimony and what you said that Jesus Christ has done in your life. The reason the man doesn't know is because he just followed in obedience and did what Jesus called him to do. And when Jesus, he came back and Jesus wasn't there, he's like, all I know is there's this guy named Jesus. And I can't help but to tell you about what he did in my life. What's so interesting to me is the world we live in today, Christians. Christians, they're brought from darkness into light by trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. By making him number one in their life, a number one priority. And he, he changes your thoughts, he changes your behaviors, he changes your friends. He changes a lot of stuff when that happens. And you're radically transformed by the power of Jesus. And you know who we tell? Nobody. You know who we say is responsible for the transforming work of Jesus in our life? We don't say anything. I guarantee you, if you were blind before you got saved... And then you got saved and put your trust in Jesus Christ, and now you can see? I bet you'd be telling everybody. I bet you'd be telling every single person you came in contact with, I don't know what happened. I used to be blind, but now I see. I don't know how it happened exactly. All I know is that Jesus Christ is the one that did that in my soul and in my life. The problem the problem with miraculous is that we keep our blinders on sometimes. As time goes on, the blinders creep back in over and over and over again. The flesh starts creeping back in on us, and we stop seeing it as miraculous. And that's the reason we don't share our testimony. That's the reason we don't tell other people about the power of God. Because those blinders keep coming back. They keep coming back in. Because we're afraid, we're embarrassed, we're scared. We don't know how people will respond if we tell people about what happened in our life. We don't want to be looked at as one of those Jesus freaks or Bible-thumping Christians or whatever. And over time, over time, those blinders keep coming back in. And we don't, we don't proclaim the good news of what Jesus did in our life. Maybe God has convicted you tonight that you just don't share what Jesus has did in your life. Maybe God has, has shown you that what you've done is you've just ignored the miraculous power of Jesus Christ, the miracle that's happened in your life through Jesus bringing you from darkness into life and light. And maybe you need to just say, Jesus, I repent of that, and I want to say thank you, and I want to commit myself to telling people about you and your kingdom and what you did in my life. Maybe they just need to say that tonight. Or maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe you're still spiritually blind. Maybe you recognize the fact that Jesus is calling you. Jesus has stopped in, in the middle of his day to reach down to you and say, I want you to be able to see. Maybe you recognize that about your spiritual blindness today and you want to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Come and talk to me. I'd love to tell you how you can know Jesus. How you can stop walking around with the blinders on and walking around with blind eyes and not being able to see the glory of God. Maybe you recognize 
that we only have a short period of time here, that a daylight will only last so long, that we only have a certain amount of time for us to go and tell and proclaim this kingdom, and you haven't been making good use of your time. Maybe you say, Jesus, I want to do more for your kingdom in this short period of time that we have because I know it is, life is like a vapor and it only lasts for just a second and then it's gone. Whatever God has spoken to you about in your heart, whatever God has said to you, I pray that you respond like this man responded and you respond in obedience. And when Jesus tells you to go, you just go. You just go. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you so much for the testimony of this blind man that we see. God, he was in darkness. He was in physical darkness because of his blindness, but he was in spiritual darkness because of his sin. It wasn't his sin that made him blind, God, but it's his sin that blinded him from you. So, Lord, I thank you for a compassionate Jesus who was running for his life, and he stopped at the temple gates to just reach out to this man in love and compassion and rescue him from his sin and from his blindness. And, God, now this man was able to to sustain his life. God, he was welcomed back in by other people. He, he, he was so transformed that the people didn't recognize him as who he was. And God, I, I just thank you for the fact that this man was rescued. God, you gave him his life back. But more importantly, you gave him eternal life. I praise your name for that testimony. I praise your name for your power to transform lives. God, I praise your name, God, for the fact that you rescued me in my sin, in my darkness, and you brought me into light. And I praise your name for that. Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, they don't have a relationship with you, God, maybe they've been playing games with this whole idea of being a Christian, but they're not really one. Maybe you've opened their eyes to that today. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would rescue them, God, that you would bring them to their knees, God, so they might be able to, to touch the sky, Lord, they might be able to, to reach out and feel the hand of Jesus reaching down to them. God, however you need to move, whatever you need to speak to hearts and say, God, I pray that we respond in obedience. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will everybody please stand?